Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to In the Huddle, the exclusive weekly talk show dedicated to NCAA Division III football's Liberty League Conference. Tonight, your hosts, Eric Wren and Frank Rossi, will recap last week's Liberty League action and interview the newsmakers around the league. We'll also preview next week's action and take your calls and online questions. So sit back and put your game face on because you're In the Huddle. Now, live from Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York, your hosts, Eric Wren and Frank Rossi. Bell of the holder. The snap is low. Gets it down. Kick is on the way. The kick is good. Hobart won the game. So there we are, Frank, in the huddle, baby. Changes are occurring in the Liberty League. <laughs> well, you're going to hear that clip probably more than once in, uh, on tonight's broadcast, and the implications that go with it will be discussed probably throughout the night as well. So uh, it's going to be an interesting night. I know uh, you were uh, taking this one a little tough yesterday, like I was taking the union loss tough a week before uh, at RPI's hands, and uh, it's, it's a tough situation. They've been leading all season. We're, we're not to get ahead of ourselves here, but they've been leading all season, and to go from a home playoff game probably to possibly out of the playoffs, although I'm not so sure about that quite yet, it's a pretty damning thing for it to happen like that. But you know what? That's what D3 football is all about, and you've got to get back on your feet and put it all together because it ain't over quite yet. Well, on that note, I'm Eric Wren, joined here with my compadre down in scenic Miami, Coral Gables, Frank Rossi. You are in the huddle. The week ending 11-8. So as you just heard the opening clip, courtesy of Ted Baker, Hobart Statesman's Radio Sports Network. And if you've been living under a rock or you haven't picked up the sports page, Hobart, in a dramatic last-second win yesterday, Frank, took down number one in the Liberty League RPI, 13-10, and a field goal as time expired. And like you said, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well as other Liberty League action. I was at that game, and as you can hear my voice, I'm going to cough here. It's a little rough. Lots of... uh, Lots of screaming back and forth. Final regular season home game on 86 Field, so the end of an era there. You know, a lot of pageantry there yesterday, and Hobart played the spoiler, and, you know, it's a very good team. It's been a tight rivalry for the last several years. You know, some other teams had some big games this weekend, and we have a good slate of guests this evening. Frank, why don't you tell who our guests are this evening, and then we'll take it into around the league. Sure. Uh, tonight we have joining us uh, Union's freshman quarterback, uh, Drew Connolly, we, we try to avoid doing the freshman thing. Only, you know, it's tough for a freshman to come on a show like this, but he had a five-touchdown performance, as you'll hear in around the league, uh, coming up, which ties the Union College record for a single game. Uh, then after that, we'll have uh, a guest that I've been actually wanting to get on for a while because he's been prolific in terms of his numbers, only overshadowed by Chris Coney generally in the league, and it's Dave Pavellis, the running back from Susquehanna University. And then uh, number three, uh, probably saving the best for last tonight uh, in terms of Hobart's uh, linebacker, uh, fifth-year linebacker, no less, and uh, all-around good guy from uh, our friend James Baker. Uh, he was uh, telling me uh, earlier a little story, and uh, we'll hopefully have James on uh, with us 
Uh, Jeff Sanders is joining us, senior, uh, fifth-year uh, senior linebacker from Hobart, who uh, led the tackle charts the first time a uh, linebacker without the name of Hager led the tackle charts for Hobart all season long, and what a time for it to happen. And actually, Frank, as you mentioned right when we kicked off the show, folks were in the meat of the schedule. You know, there's only one week left to go, so the playoff picture, you know, clouded up a little bit as far as having two one-loss teams in the Liberty League. RPI and Hobart both sit atop the stings. Hobart wins it as if the season ends today by virtue of a head-to-head tiebreaker against RPI. They do have a tough game coming up next week in, in a potential spoiler with Rochester, and RPI has Merchant Marine. So things aren't over, and to that note, there's a pretty murky national playoff picture, Frank, you know, Pool A, Pool B, Pool C. And, and to that point, I believe we're actually going to have Mr. Pat Coleman, publisher of D3Football.com, join us, you know, kind of as a last-minute guest to help see the trees through the forest, and I think we're pretty excited to have Pat on at this time of year to kind of get his take on that, too. Absolutely, and uh, like you said, probably around 8.45 or thereabouts after our last guest. Uh, we're hoping to have Pat join us uh, for the conclusion of the show. And as always, come into the chat room, feed us your questions for the guests, and uh, after uh, our guests, if we have time, we'll have your phone calls, folks. It's 646-200-0576. Take down that number for now. Don't call it yet. Call it later on in the show, but go into the chat room, feed us some questions. I think it's time for around the league, Eric. It is, and folks, Eric Ren, Frank Rossi, you are in battle. The St. Lawrence Saints took to the road in hopes of winning their second game of the season, but the host Rochester Yellow Jackets looked to build on their victory last week without quarterback Fraser Zubik or running back Clarence Anyruka. The teams traded blows throughout the first half, with St. Lawrence's Eric Jones scoring up runs of 5 and 70 yards, while Rochester's Mike Sonderricker scored on a 32-yard run, and Patrick Keegan threw a 15-yard touchdown to tight end Pedro Sosa. Both teams missed an extra point in the first half, making the halftime score a 13-13 tie. The teams continued to trade blows in the third quarter as Saints quarterback J.P. Kearney found Anthony Patterson for a 25-yard touchdown, followed by a 5-yard pass from Keegan to Zach Inglesby for the Yellow Jackets. The Saints went 3-and out in their ensuing possession, allowing Rochester to finally set the tenor of the game as Keegan found Tom Maltuski for a 14-yard touchdown in a 27-20 lead. St. Lawrence ended the third quarter with an epic 14-play, 8.5-minute drive, but the Saints came up empty-handed as a 26-yard Matt Popov field goal was blocked. Rochester took over at midfield, and Keegan tied a Rochester record for passing touchdowns in a game with his fourth touchdown, this time to Inglesby from 9 yards out, to make the final score 34-20 Rochester. Sonderricker helped propel the Yellow Jackets with 202 yards on the ground, moving Rochester to 3-6 overall and 3-3 in the Liberty League. Eric Jones' 106 yards rushing and Kearney's 259 yards passing were tempered by Kearney's three interceptions, dropping the Saints to 1-8 and 1-5 and and respectively. After scoring 49 points last week, could the Susquehanna offense continue to roll? The Crusaders traveled over eight hours to visit the WPI engineers, but the hosts failed to roll out the red carpet as quarterback Justin Wells started scoring for WPI with a 93-yard pass to Cody McGregor for a 7-0 lead. Susquehanna responded with a three-yard rushing touchdown from Dave Pavelis, capping a 10-play drive and tying the game at 7-7. Susquehanna would put a permanent end to the WPI hopes in the second quarter after WPI missed a 37-yard field goal in the first play of the quarter. John Lenardi punted the ball to WPI after the ensuing drive to the WPI 2, but Justin Wells was trapped in the end zone of the first play of the drive to give Susquehanna a 9-7 lead. 
The Crusaders proceeded to score three touchdowns following the safety, including a two-yard Tony McIntosh touchdown run midway through the quarter, a seven-yard passing touchdown from Derek Pope to Pavelitz with a minute left in the half, and a 20-yard block punt return for a touchdown by John Lenardi following Dan Goliath's blocks just 40 seconds later. The 23-point second quarter made the halftime score 30-7 for Susquehanna. WPI tried to keep it close with Wells scoring on a one-yard run five minutes into the second half, but Susquehanna would score three more unanswered touchdowns, including Pavelitz's third touchdown of the day midway through the third quarter. The final score was 51-21 Susquehanna. Pavelitz ended the game with 160 yards rushing, while Jim Owen had four catches for 107 yards for the Crusaders, who have scored 100 points in their last two games and moved to 4-5 and five overall and 3-3 three and three in the league. Wells' 230 yards passing, including 207 receiving yards by McGregor, wasn't enough as WPI experienced its first two-game losing streak of the season. They moved to 6-3 and three and 3-3 three and three respectively. It may have been senior day in Schenectady for the Union Dutchman, but somebody forgot to tell that to Dutchman freshman quarterback Andrew Connolly when the Merchant Marine Academy Mariners visited the Dutchman. Connolly began the scoring about three minutes into the game with a 15-yard pass to Mike and Cannon. The Mariners responded four minutes later with an 11-yard touchdown pass from Derek Venture to Chris Rye. However, the Dutchman would go on a scoring frenzy that they haven't experienced in over a year. First, Justin Gallo caught Connolly's second passing touchdown for 22 yards out. Here's the Dutchman Radio Network's Zach Analetti with the call. Now a big fourth down for Union. Connolly's going to line up in the gun. Still running under a little pressure. He gets it to Gallo's wide open in the end zone. And he catches a touchdown. Great play by Connolly and Gallo. Finally, on 4th and 7 from his own 22-yard line. In the second quarter, Connolly passed for his third touchdown, this time for 5 yards to tight end Josh McElligan. Dutchman running back Chris Coney broke up the monotony with a 1-yard rushing touchdown to go with his 94 yards on the ground, making the halftime score 28-7 Union. The second half was the Connolly and Jared Gorier show. First, just 2 minutes into the third quarter, Gorier caught the 4th passing touchdown for Drew Connolly on the day, this one from 35 yards out. The Mariners would finally respond with an 8-yard pass from Venture to Grant Wright to make the score 35-14. But Connolly and Gorier would be heard from one more time. So here's Connolly on 2nd and 24 from the 25. Play action pass to Johnson. Let's one go to the end zone to Gurrier. And Gurrier has the ball and it is a touchdown. What a catch by Gurrier. The 25-yard touchdown pass was Connolly's Union College record tying 5th in one game, making the final score 42-14 Union. The Dutchman defense did a great job holding the Mariners to 68 yards rushing. Charles of Sapien had six tackles, including three for losses for the Dutchman, who moved back to 500 at 4-4 four and four overall and 3-3 three and three in the league. The Mariners' losing streak continued as they moved to 2-7 and seven and 1-5. and five. The weekend's most anticipated Liberty League matchup lived up to its billing as the RPI engineers hosted the Hobart Statesman for the final regular season game ever to be played at 86th Field. Neither team could gain much momentum in the first quarter, although RPI thought they had a good chance in the first possession until senior quarterback Jimmy Robertson was intercepted inside the end zone for a Hobart touchback. Hobart went three and out, but RPI turned the ball back over and down. It wasn't until late in the first quarter during an RPI punt that things got started. Here's a call from Ted Baker of the Statesman Radio Network. And Schultz is the only returner. They get the rush. They block it. It's blocked. Picked up by Robinson. Robinson off to the races. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Ryan Robinson on a block punt and Hobart's on the board. RPI drove well into Hobart territory midway through the second quarter, eventually reaching the Hobart 11-yard line. But on 4th and 5, the engineer's Peter Nielsen was called on to kick the field goal, making the score 7-3. At the end of the first half, RPI had a crucial decision to make. 
the Engineers faced fourth and goal from inside the two-yard line, but opted for another Nielsen field goal. However, Hobart blocked the kick, leaving the halftime score at 7-3. The second half started ominously for Hobart this time, as Rich Doyle's pass was intercepted by RPI Stefan Schultz just one minute into the third quarter. The quarter turned more into a battle of punts, turnovers, and fourth down incompletions, though, until Hobart put together its first sustained offensive drive of the game, a 14-play, 67-yard drive that ended with a 31-yard Connor Callahan field goal for a 10-3 lead with two minutes left in the third. This time, though, RPI would respond with the Engineers' own 10-play, 69-yard drive. Nick Costa scored the first touchdown for the Engineers on a six-yard run to tie the game at 10 apiece early in the fourth quarter. In the ensuing drive, Hobart outdid itself, even in the face of adversity. Doyle injured his throwing hand during the drive, forcing backup quarterback Doug Vela to take the reins for the Statesman. Vela led the team down the field and capped a 17-play, 7.5-minute drive with this play. Play clock at 18, long snap count, trying to draw the defense offside. Here's the snap, Vela back to throw, looking, he's chased, rolls out left side, throws back in the end zone, caught for the touchdown! RPI had six minutes left to equalize, but failed to score in its first opportunity to respond. The engineer defense, though, gave Robertson one more chance with three minutes left. After converting a 27-yard fourth and ten pass from his own 23, Robertson hit the jackpot. Quick snap, rolls out of the gun to the far side, steps back, throws deep down the field, McCarthy jump ball has it! At the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! He got behind Boyington, 50-yard touchdown, Robertson to his best receiver, Patrick McCarthy. Hobart would have one final chance to avoid overtime as the sky darkened overhead. With 2.28 left, Vela let his legs help the statesman as he ran and scrambled, eventually completing a 26-yard pass to Garth Meritori to the RPI 20. Callahan was called on once more with five seconds left to give Hobart the win. Vela the holder, the snap is low, gets it down, kick is on the way, the kick is good! Hobart's won the game! Callahan, 37-yarder, and Dougie Vela got a terrific hold on a low snap. Hobart wins the game and can win the Liberty League next week at home. The Statesman defense played well, led by fifth-year senior captain Jeff Sanders, 14 tackles and one fumble recovery. The 20-17 win places Hobart in control of the Liberty League title as they move to 7-1 overall and 5-1 in the league. RPI, who outgained Hobart by 133 yards, is on the borderline for a playoff slot with the loss, moving them to identical 7-1 and 5-1 records. You are in the huddle. The only weekly talk show devoted to NCAA Division III Liberty League Conference College Football. And now back to Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York. Your hosts, Eric Red and Frank Rossi. All right, and Frank, I got a hand to you, buddy. You've you, you've really matriculated. You've matured in these around the re, around the leagues. You know, each week you just you just outdo yourself. I gotta hand it to you. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's my mute button this time. I was saying you're a little concerned. I thought, earlier, I, might, uh, I, I thought I'd uh, just, you know, made you speechless with the praise there. Well, you always do, but uh, you know, the nine thing got you a little nervous. But you know what? We had a lot of action this week, and I think what happens is as we go along the season, things begin to culminate, and you want to catch all these different players, especially the ones we've had on the show, 
I mean, look, Eric Jones had two touchdowns right off the bat for St. Lawrence this week. We had him on the show last week. We'll have Dave Favellis on. Uh, we'll have Andrew Connolly on very soon. And okay, you know, so there is no there is no in the huddle curse. No, I, I think it's actually working well. I mean, granted, St. Lawrence lost, but you know, Eric Jones scored five touchdowns in a row for his team uh, back to last week's uh, second half. He scored three there and then two at the beginning of the game. He, he's an up and comer. A lot of injuries, though, though Eric. Uh, panning out. Uh, Rochester started without their uh, freshman quarterback, Raisin Zubik, and uh, Clarence Onyuruka, their uh, tailback. Uh, yet they still got a big win out of the uh, day uh, to move to, I think it's now, what, 3-3 three and three in the Liberty League. Yep. And, you know, you look at RPI situation and Hobart's situation. Hobart may be without their starting quarterback next week. And then let's talk about Aaron Silvasi and what happened to him because uh, he did not return in the second half. I didn't include it in that package, but that was a big loss for RPI yesterday yeah. in that game. Yeah, I mean, and, and folks, stick around. we got Andrew Connolly, Union freshman quarterback, coming up as our first guest in a couple minutes. Eric Renfink, Rossi in the huddle. You just heard around the league, week ending uh, November 8th. And, you know, and folks, <laughs> I'll tell you, we're going to talk for a minute, Frank, you and I, about this Hobart RPI game, because you just saw the shift in the – Potential playoff picture with the automatic qualifier potentially happened yesterday. Hobart has a, what should be a tough game against Rochester coming up next week. RPI is Merchant Marine, so all is not lost for RPI in the automatic qualifier, but it does look a little more bleak for them as of this morning. And that game, I'll tell you, Frank, I mean, you know, I, I was in the end zone um, at RPI kind of hanging out with my alumni crew and just watching that game. And I don't know, I, I think you caught the webcast, as you usually do, um, yeah. and, and I'll tell you, it, 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 was a, it was a very confusing game to watch, only from the standpoint of if, if you're a person who, who, who places all their cards in, in statistics, you know, or places all their cards on the table around statistics, you look at this and you say, well, you know, RPI clearly was the better team in terms of yardage and, and moving the ball and, and holding Hobart's offense in check. You know, you look at Hobart's points, um, you know, the only touchdown came on, uh, on a block, you know, first half came on a block punt. They returned for a touchdown. Special teams, again, were huge. Coach King from RPI always preaches special teams. They ended up working out in Hobart's favor this time. They blocked the punt, returned for a touchdown. They blocked an RPI field goal. So two plays right there, Frank, 10-point swing, clearly you know, the, the difference in that game. And then you throw in the factor that, hey, Hobart engineered this drive, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, with their backup quarterback. I mean, you look at this kid, and I'm thinking, boy, why am we seeing more of him? He, he came in and, and moved the team with tremendous poise. The end of the game, after RPI had tied it, and everyone in the, in the, in the field and on, in the stands had thought, okay, you know, a minute and a half left or whatever it is, two minutes, probably an overtime situation. You know, Hobart has the ball kind of deep in their own territory. Why do anything to risk a turnover and let RPI win in regulation? But you know what? Give credit to the Statesman and Coach Mike Craig and that backup quarterback. They took it down the field, and on a huge you know, play of the game, in my view, is, is, is there's a long third down play. They threw the ball up in the air, converted on a long third down, ran a couple more plays, which you know I probably would have kicked the field goal right there to risk it, but and the kid nailed it, longest field goal of his career. So, I mean, it lived up to the billing. All the RPI community is definitely dejected, but, Frank, I'll tell you, unbelievable game, and I think you have a couple – thoughts on your perspective as, as a third party not tied to either program? 
Well, first, you know, Coach Saloom from WPI, we talked to him earlier in the season about the idea of having two quarterbacks that are of good ability or great ability on your team, and how, how can you rob one, not giving the other time, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we saw the value of playing Doug Vela a little bit that Coach Craig does throughout the season. You generally see him as kind of an option-type quarterback for Hobart, and you know, yeah, he had to come in and do a lot more than that yesterday, but he had experience. He had game-time experience, and he made it pay off yesterday. Now, some other things to think about uh, with this game. I, you know, I was watching this game actually literally with my parents uh, down here in Florida. I'm actually in Boca Raton, I meant to tell you earlier, not in uh, Miami. Uh, I spent some time with my family who uh, came down here this weekend. And at lunch, I was like, we're going to watch this game. RPI's webcast is top-notch. I used that as an excuse to show it to them on my computer. And we were watching it while we were eating. And right as the uh, punt block happened at first. And so it was 7-0. So we finished lunch, and RPI has fourth and goal coming up inside the two-yard line. Take the time. I excuse myself to use facilities, but I'm like, hey, they're going to be going for this big uh, place, and let me know uh, how it works out, Dad and come back, and my father's like, well, they try kicking the field goal. And I was like, why? Why would you at 7-3 to three kick that field goal or even attempt it? What is the difference in terms of momentum and mentality going into the locker room down 7-6 to six versus 7-3 to three, even if you make it? You need uh, to I, take I, that I, lead. I have a thought on that, Frank, if I may interrupt you, because you know, usually in that scenario I've been – a fan and, and, and a player in some similar scenarios, and <clears throat> excuse me, you always want to you know emotionally go for the touchdown, get the bigger points, try to try to open up a, a wider lead. But I will tell you what, Frank, in, in that game, RPI at that point of the game, they they still hadn't gotten a lot going, they hadn't had a ton of momentum, they made a few plays here and there, but honestly, Hobart's only touchdown at that point had come from a block punt, they weren't moving the ball at all. This truly had established itself as a game that was going to basically be a low-scoring. It became evident it was going to be a low-scoring game. Defense was the, was the watchword yesterday. You know, grind it out, ball control, time of possession. So, you know, when that play happened, pretty much most of the folks that I talked to when I was standing around, whether they were former coaches, former players, they were all 100% in the boat with that decision. Obviously, it didn't work out. It got blocked. But, you know, that's a chip shot, Frank. Most of the time, that's an automatic three if, if you block the, the, the defense. But in that case, hey, seven to six, if RPI is down only by a point, you know, now you're only looking at a field goal to take the lead because moving the ball and putting the ball in the end zone wasn't a guarantee yesterday. So I understand what you're saying, but I'll tell you, they were at the three from what I recall. Um, I don't know if you have the distance there, the field goal attempt. but uh, that, The one he missed was uh, 19 yards officially. Okay, so he was at, eh, it was a long two, two and a half, to, somewhere between the two and three yard line. I don't know, Frank. They were not doing well running the ball inside. Jimmy Robertson hadn't found his rhythm yet. I, I just, I just well, think at that well, point. Well, wait a minute. Wait a, I, I, I explicitly remember watching the play before, the third down and goal play, and Nick Costa took the inside handoff, and there was a huge hole there opened up by the offensive line for him. Instead of running through the hole, though, for some reason he engaged the tackler. He could have gone around the tackler pretty easily. It's rare that I'm able to read offensive line gaps like that. Uh, you know, as a play-by-play guy, you can't do it. You just don't get used to doing it. But for some reason, 
this hole stuck out there when I was watching uh, that third down play. So Costa had room from time to time, and he had a decent game, the running back. And that's why I'm thinking to myself, well, if that hole existed there, it's going to probably exist on fourth down also. Go for it. Get that touchdown. This is RPI football. You're trying to prove to this country right now that you're in, you deserve maybe a one number two or number one or number two uh, seed, and well, you know maybe right. not, that's, that's, but also not have, but also not have a team like Mount Union uh, be ushered back into this region. Play hang, hang like on. you were doing it. Hang on, my friend. That's Go not. I, I understand what you're saying now. The day after, as a media guy, as a third party, but I said it yesterday. I, know, I wasn't just saying the day after. But my point to you is this. There's not a person on the sidelines thinking about Mount Union trying to prove anything to the rest of the country. That, that, that doesn't exist except up in the press box or, or, or in the fan base. They, they're not thinking that, Frank. They're thinking it's a tight game. They're not moving the ball. Put points on the board. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I'm just trying to temper that with the reality of the game situation. And you've got to remember, RPI's whole attack okay, is based upon various plays setting up other plays. It's based on, on throwing the short screens. It's, it's, it's based on some of these play actions, these inside handoffs where Jimmy Robertson reads the end and either keeps it himself or hands it off inside. They weren't able to set up their, let's call it their, their rhythm of their offense to allow the running backs to find those holes, to, to, to burn them with play action. I mean, nothing was set up. Nothing was happening that Hobart had. And it was almost like Hobart had kind of sniffed some of these things out and took away the pieces of the game that RPI has to have to have that offense be successful. And one fan, and one fan just pointed out, too, you know, hey, most of that offense goes through the passing game. You know, Jimmy Robertson statistically has been one of the best players ever in RPI history, okay, 18 for 44. If he's not, and as you pointed out earlier in the season, he was throwing a lot of short balls throughout the year, right? So almost, you know, a lot of those throws are almost like handoffs or tosses. So, so when your quarterback in that offense is less than 50% completion, he's not finding his receivers or, or, or the D-backs are playing him tough, whatever the case is, that's going to be a problem. You know, and I also think, my honest opinion, you know, I think, you know, RPI probably felt some pressure in that game. You know, Hobart, sure. did, Hobart did their homework. They scouted him well. You know, quarterback's one guy. You know, there's other players in that team. You know, so, so you know, you win as a team, you lose as a team. You know, tre- tremendous kudos to Hobart for, for, for doing a great game plan. And also Absolutely. Also, and also sticking to it when things weren't going their way. You know, they got some momentum off of special teams. Um, you know, I feel bad for the seniors at RPI, but you also got to congratulate the guys at Hobart. It's, it's, it's uh, I don't know what to say. You know, I'm, I'm an RPI fan, but it's, uh, I'm also an unbiased journalist. And, uh, hey, I, I, I just fundamentally, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but I just disagree with you on that point about, that field goal. I, I, I don't disagree that it's a controversial, not controversial, but a tough call uh, on either end of it, okay? You're, you're going to uh, probably get a lot of unhappy people no matter what if the correct thing doesn't happen in terms of if you miss the field goal or if you miss the touchdown, depending on what you go for. So it's a catch-22 as a coach. But I, that one just surprised me, to be honest with you. But we're going to talk more about it throughout the game. 
and we'll have some Hobart perspective on the game as well uh, in a little while with uh, Jeff Sanders. But uh, I think we have our first guest lined up. Would I uh, be correct on that? You are. Why don't we just take a real quick uh, spot and uh, sure. take us out, Frank. All season long, let D3Football.com be your home for all the Division Three football action on the road to the Stag Bowl. From interactive blogs and message boards to columns from around the region and around the nation on your favorite teams, nobody covers NCAA Division Three better than D3Football.com. As the playoffs approach, get the scoop on who's in and who's out from the experts who picked all 32 teams last year. Don't go anywhere else. Get the info from the source for Division Three football at www.D3Football.com. Hi, I'm Brad Paisley. As an entertainer, I've always believed that music and good times go hand in hand. But if your good times involve alcohol, remember that the average person can only metabolize about one drink an hour. That's just 12 ounces of beer, 5 ounces of wine, or an ounce and a half of 80-proof liquor. And whatever the home remedies, only time will sober you up. Call a cab, designate a driver, get home alive. Call 1-800-GET-MAD or visit mad.org. That's 1-800-GET-MADD. Back with in the huddle on blogtalkradio.com, the only talk show devoted to NCAA Division III college football's Liberty League Conference. Once again, from Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York, your hosts, Eric Redden and Frank Rossi. Well, welcome back, folks. And it uh, looks like we have a uh, bustling uh, little chat room going on there, so come on in and join the fun. Uh, at blogtalkradio.com slash LLRecap in case uh, you're not listening uh, through that somehow. But if you're listening to the archive, we appreciate you joining us. We're live Sunday nights at 7.30 until all Liberty League teams are eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, we'll talk more about playoffs later with Pat Coleman around 8.50 tonight. But let's uh, talk about our first guest coming up. And I know better than to do this. However, I, I'm going to do it anyways. His favorite athlete is Brady Quinn. That's going to just make Eric Wren jump up and down like a little kid in Saratoga Springs, New York. According to at least the profile I'm reading, this is the case. We'll let him uh, say whether it is or not. But you, yesterday, you realize that like, I'm Fletcher on sitting here at Studio One. I just want you to know that. Well, at least he got more clothes on this week than he did last week. So, anyways, uh, he uh, tied a Union College football record yesterday. I think it's now a four-way tie. Uh, with five touchdowns passing. That's a single-game record for Union that he tied. And he's just had an all-around great year, uh, not even being the starter in the first, uh, I think, two games uh, this season. He's come along very fast. He's a freshman, folks. And for Union College, this is Andrew Connolly. You are in the huddle. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good, thanks. And uh, is this really true about Brady Quinn being your favorite athlete? It is. I'm a big Irish fan. Oh, boy. Go ahead, uh, Eric Ryan. Go ahead. Hey, obviously he's a smart guy, you know. So <laughs> what can I say, Frank? He's also he's from Foxborough, Mass., so he knows a thing or two about uh, good quality football oh, out there with the New England Patriots. Okay, so I take it back. I'm a Bills fan, so I don't know. <laughs> the whole world's out of balance today, Frank. <laughs> well, Andrew Connolly, uh, you go by Drew, so we'll call you uh, Drew from here on out. But, uh, Drew, Five touchdowns yesterday passing. Congratulations to you. Uh, you. You've been really outperforming what a lot of people think a freshman can do, especially in a complex offense like Union College tends to run. I mean, when you came in, did you think you were going to have the uh, 
ability slash the chance to start at such a young age for the Dutchman offense? I knew there was a possibility. I knew that it was going to be a competition that I'd have to be able to learn the playbook before even thinking about getting on the field, you know. But uh, uh, coming in, I thought I had the ability to play. And then after learning the system, it I was able to step in uh step in and get the job done so far. And uh, have you made good friends with your offensive line uh, yet? Because, uh, I mean, that's your, uh, those are your best friends, uh, supposedly, on the field. And uh, they're a little bit older than you, generally. you got some good experience. Tony Morello we had on the show a couple weeks ago. I mean, tell us about your offensive line and your relationship with them so far. Uh, i got a really good relationship with them. I mean, none of them, I don't think any of them look at me as just a freshman. And they don't really worry about the age difference, like you said. And I mean, I've developed a good relationship with all of them. And they do a great job protecting me. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the lack of protection. At one point uh, last week, there was a rumor or two I had heard that you were not going to be able to start coming into uh, this weekend's game, uh, the senior uh, week or senior day game uh, against Merchant Marine Academy, because you took a pretty big hit to your ribs uh, in the uh, game against RPI, but still came back in in that game. Uh, Explain to our uh, listeners and your fans uh, what happened to you and, you know, what the prognosis was and why you ended up playing uh, at the end of the uh, day. Uh, I actually bruised a few ribs and uh, tore some cartilage in the rib cage. But, yeah, and uh, I just got wrapped up. And, I mean, just for the seniors, I want to try to play for them, and it's just another football game. The season's coming to an end soon, and it's going to be a long off season, so might as well play when you can, you know. I hear you there. I think Eric Ryan's got some questions for you. Yeah, we're here with Drew Connolly, freshman quarterback from Union College in the huddle. Eric Ryan, Frank Rossi, thanks again for joining us. Drew, you know, it, it's a situation in college football now that you've been here for a full training camp and, and almost the full season where, yes, on one hand, I'm sure you're happy to have the opportunity to go out and you know, compete for a job and showcase yourself and, and make a contribution. I guess on the other side of the fence, there are people that say, hey, you know, <clears throat> there's some, there's always an, some, some question marks when you have a, a rookie quarterback, a, a freshman quarterback, um, you know, because it doesn't always mean that there's a lot of experience at that position when you're right. starting freshman in a college program, right? So I guess my question to you is, when you first knew you were going to take the reins as a starter, you know, what kind of goals did you set for yourself? Um, you know, whether it's a personal goal or a team goal, I, let, let me ask it this way. G- give us a personal goal you set, and then give us maybe a team goal that you wanted to achieve. The first goal is always just to try to win the game. You know, that's the most important thing. And then another thing I want to do is, I just wanted to get the respect of all the older kids, too, and show them that I'm not just a freshman playing quarterback and that I can run the offense as good as anyone else. I think that was my own personal goal, was just to prove to all the older kids that I can get the job done. Now, so, oh, so, so I'm sorry, Frank. So, 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 you know, obviously you want to win that game. Talk about kind of longer term, though. You're getting a grasp of the offense. You're you're playing with some. You got some great young players around you. I mean, heck, Chris Coney's a heck of a tailback. That certainly I would think yeah, is a quarterback. makes your job a little easier when you know you got someone behind you who can certainly kind of take some of the load off your shoulders. You guys are sitting at four and four. 
obviously rich tradition at Union football. Not the kind of season I'm sure that folks wanted coming into this season. You know, you guys uh, want to compete for the title. But, hey, you know, you're 4-4. Four four. You've done some positive things. You've had some tough losses, some real close ones. What's the, mo- the mood of the team now? I mean, how, how do you want to, you know, remember this uh, season, 2008? I think it's just the, we just got to win, win out, keep the tradition of uh, union football in the program as a winning tradition, you know. Spent like 28 years. Coach said that it's been since we've had a losing season, and uh, we don't want to be that team that has that losing season. And we just want to go yeah, out on well, a strong note going into next year, too, you know. We've got uh, Drew Connolly here in the huddle, Union freshman quarterback who tied uh, the single-game touchdown passing record for the Dutchman yesterday with five touchdowns passing. Uh, his last two to uh, Jared Gorier, converted quarterback of all things. Yep. And uh, you're going to need guys like Gorier uh, next week. We've got uh, coming up next on the show, Dave Savellis from Susquehanna. Susquehanna has put up 100 points in the last two games, which is unheard of in the Liberty yeah. League. I, I, we'd have to go back and search the last time that's happened in two league games uh, when it's back-to-back like this. But I, you got a team like that coming up. Uh, kind of a firebrand on offense. You guys put up a good number of points this week, 42 points. I mean, what, what did you think before uh, the last couple games about Susquehanna, and what do you think now? I think they're going to be a tough team, a gritty team, you know. I think that uh, we're going to definitely have to put some points up on the board, and if it's a shootout, that's fine. If our defense is able to hold them, and, uh, I mean, plain and simple, we just got to put points on the board and, uh, don't really worry about the defense. I know they'll get the job done, and uh, I'm just going to worry about what our offense is doing. And They're going to be a tough team, but, you know, every team in the Liberty League is tough this year. Hey, uh, one last question for you. Yesterday you uh, threw an interception at one point. We hate to bring that stuff up, uh, but it kind of yeah. slipped uh, past, I think, uh, Josh McKelligan uh, in around the third or fourth quarter. And yep. uh, Andy Cattalier who was the starting quarterback the first couple of games this year, a couple of the games last year before he got injured, from what uh, WRUC reported, came over to you and kind of slapped you on the helmet. I mean, what's your relationship with uh, Andy like? And, I mean, I'm guessing you have positives to say about his role. Give us kind of oh, yeah. a glimpse at Andy Cattalier. Me and Andy got a great relationship, you know. He's probably one of the nicest kids on the team, and he's helped me out through everything, and he's never been uh, – He's all about being a team player. He's always helped me out learn from the first day of camp, learning the offense, and even on the sideline and everything. He's like another, he's like another coach out there for me. So it's really great. Every time I come off, he settles me down, especially in the big games like RPI and everything. After I threw uh, that pick there, he grabs me. And has to, he makes me calm down, and I mean, he's a great kid. I have a great relationship with him. Well, listen, we uh, always offer our guests. Uh, the ability to do shout-outs. I'm sure you got some friends, family, teammates listening, so we give you this open forum to give your shout-outs. Go ahead. I'll give a shout-out to my parents. They're probably listening at home. Uh, my roommate, Ethan, and uh, all my other friends, Josh, Connor, Cam, Colin, Juddy, all you guys. I, I feel like those are some union teammates right there if I uh, notice names by any chance. Do you want to give a shout-out to Brady Quinn? I'll give a shout-out to him, too. <laughs> he might be listening. I, I, I put it up. You know, he might check the site. You never know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Drew, for joining us. Uh, no problem, guys.
Yeah, you've been listening to Drew Connolly, uh, freshman quarterback at Union College, taking his team into Susquehanna next time for the first time ever, actually, or at least first time in Liberty League action, visiting uh, Seelands Grove, Pennsylvania, against our next guest's team. We'll talk to that next guest coming up here, but you're listening to, to, yeah, to my English falling down as I speak. You're listening to In the Huddle on Blog Talk Radio. Back up. You gotta be a bit crazy, a little bit out your mind If you've been drinking, then you go out and drive You're risking countless lives, and your own too Plus you risk hurting everyone that knows you Yeah, they'll be so blue, standing at your burial Thinking that you were a fool while at your memorial The point is, you shouldn't risk those lives If you drink, don't drive, if you drink, don't drive Spend yeah. a few bucks on a cab, or sleep while you've been drinking If you drink, don't drive, stay alive, start thinking Stay sober, arrive alive If you drink, don't drive, if you drink, don't drive Mad dog Good news. Fewer adults are smoking cigarettes than ever before. No matter how long you've been smoking or how old you are, it's never too late to quit. Almost immediately, you'll breathe better and your circulation will improve. You'll also be able to recover from illness and injury faster. Each day, your tobacco-free reduces your risk for conditions such as heart disease and stroke. For more information on quitting, talk to your health professional or call the National Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Take the first step to a healthier life. You are listening to In the Huddle on blogtalkradio.com, the only source for weekly Liberty League action in NCAA Division III football's Liberty League Conference. So once again, back to Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York, your hosts, Eric Wren and Frank Rossi. All right, you're back. Eric Wren, Frank Rossi, In the Huddle on blogtalkradio.com. Always good to be here at Studio One. Frank, I'm sure you miss being here. I know you're down in Florida, but hey. Yeah, I really miss cold weather and uh, seeing your dirty laundry on the floor. Yep. You know, you've done nothing but give little barbs to me for the last week over over the place. You don't like Studio One. That's okay. I I, like it, but it's warmer here. That's a big, big uh, change here, a difference between upstate New York right now and Florida. Come on. Well, speaking of warm or hot, our, you know, we have a next guest who certainly was hot yesterday on fire, the junior running back for Susquehanna, Dave Pavlitz. Dave, are you on the phone with us? Yeah, I am. Hey, thanks. Hey, Dave, what, what's, a, what's a pronunciation of your name? Cause we yeah, I wanted to ask you that. Too, I didn't have a chance to do that. I hope I had it right. Uh, how'd you say it? Pa- Pavlitz? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's the way to say it. Everybody, you know, around calls me Pav, so um, there's been, you know, since I've been here, there's been ways of, like, trying to say my name or whatever. Uh, you know, there's just been mix-ups and all that, but it's tablets. Well, I think, you know, two, two, two rushing touchdowns, one receiving yesterday as a junior tailback and a big win, 50 points. I don't think Coach cares how you pronounce it. I think he just likes seeing those numbers. <laughs> uh, yeah, Coach, Coach calls me Pavellus, Pav, Pavlets. You know, I respond to whatever he says anymore. Yeah, Coach Briggs actually gave us Pavelic. So that, that's where I got it from for Around the League. So now I have to go back and re-record all of our uh, Around the Leagues because you always seem to make the highlight reel for us. Uh, you know, it's you and it's Chris Coney in terms of preeminent backs in the uh, league, and you're going to be facing off against, or at least uh, on the uh, other side, you're going to be facing off against Union and Chris Coney next week. I mean, tell us, have you been looking forward to that, or what, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a great matchup between, you know, us two. I mean, we're, I mean, I've seen film when we've been watching past teams 
and uh, Union was on offense, it, it just seems that we're like two different types of backs, but, you know, we're both putting up, you know, numbers. He's more of like a, a, a shifty, you know, faster back and uh, probably like more of a, like if you want to refer to the NFL, he's more of a, like I would say like a, the Danian Tomlinson, Chris Johnson. He's a little bit, you know, faster, he's shifty, you know, he gets around the outside where I would compare myself more to like a Deuce McAllister, Jamal Lewis, where I'm more of a straight ahead runner and I'm trying to make one cut and just try to make uh, people miss by running through them. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Dave, you know, I look at the season you guys have had so far, and <laughs> you've had us, you know, following with bated breath up and down. Subsequent season has seemed to take some different directions. You guys started out hot. I believe you were 3-0. and Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just, I'm just double-checking that so I get my facts straight. I mean, you guys definitely started season strong. You had a few bumps in the road in Liberty League play. You also had that, you know, miraculous game against, against Merchant Marine. You've, you've clearly had lots of, of different you know, directions, the season's gone this year. You hit a little bump in the road where you dropped a few league games in a row, but then you come back strong and, and you put up, you know, a bunch of points the last couple weeks. I mean, what is it, I guess, you know, the, the theme this year in, in Selens Grove? I mean, you know, how do you guys approach this season when, when, when each week seems to be a whole different set of circumstances and, and and mood as you progress through, you know, kind of some ups and downs? Uh, the main thing is we lost uh, our offensive coordinator from last year, who was Gary Brown, and we got uh, Coach Nate Millen to come in for uh, our, as our offensive coordinator. And as far as, like, the offensive per- perspective, um, we look at it as always move forward, no matter what happens. You know, you always have to move forward, and that's our thing is that we don't, we don't like to look back at what happened in, you know, past weeks because every week's a new week, and, and especially this year in the Liberty League with games going either way all around, you know, we're just always trying to move forward. Our big thing is, you know, we had our we had our goals, and, you know, a couple of them were, you know, disrupted in the beginning with, with uh, you know, our, our, so a few of our losses, and we're, we're just always trying to move forward and do the best we can. Uh, another big thing is that um, – Next week's going to be our, our senior day, and our thing going into next week is that these seniors, everybody, you know, for, for the past couple of years, you know, we've been 2-8, we've 2-8, been two and 2-8, two and, eight, two and, eight, and every senior class that we've had were going to be, the, you know, the team to move this around. And this is the first year that, you know, our seniors have really stepped up and been, like, leaders to all of us, and that's what we're looking up for. And we have younger classmen uh, stepping up as leadership. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the big thing that we that I mean is a main change from last year is that we're just always looking forward last year bad things would happen and we put our heads down and now we just keep fighting and you said like you said you saw we never stopped fighting against Merchant Marine even when we were down by 28 points I mean you just actually kind of preempted me here I was going to bring up the point I mean I look at your guys you know your, your your schedule since you've been in the Liberty League you know clearly Susquehanna has been a team that's been around a long time I mean heck Amos Alonzo Stagg that lineage I mean you guys have been mm-hmm. been a very strong football program for many years. You have a rich tradition. The last several years, not quite, I'm sure, what, it, what you guys would be expecting or meeting your expectations. You know, obviously, I think you saw coming into the Liberty League, clearly this is a talented conference. Everyone comes to play every week. You've had some seasons in a row, 2-8, and 2-8. and eight. You, know, you, you were 4-5 and five last year. You're 5-5 five and five now. You know, you got some seniors on the team. You're a junior. You have a great opportunity next week against a, a, a resurgent, I'm going to call them, union team 
we just heard from their freshman quarterback, to make a statement and have your first winning season since, or I should, yeah, your first winning season since 2000. How much of a motivator are you guys placing on that just to have a winning season, you know, in, in, in conference right now? Like like I said, um, you know, it's the whole thing. We're we're doing this, you know, for our seniors. And, like, our biggest thing is, you know, we have been in a drought so bad that we were always, like, talking about it when we talked about it. You know, we've, we were in we – we we're just felt like we were getting into an accustom of, of losing. And we kept losing short, coming up short. And, you know, this year, you know, we just came in with a whole new attitude that, you, you know, we had talent. We had talent all around the field. I mean, I mean, as I heard you state earlier that, you know, we put up – uh, 100 points in the last, you know, two two weeks. I mean, we have weapons. I mean, holding uh, WPI to, I mean, to their, you know, their starters 14 points. I mean, we want to have this winning season and then roll into next year when we're going to be returning a, a lot of starters also. Hey, we've got uh, Dave Pavlitz here uh, in the huddle. Ah. Is... <laughs> what? What? I'm going to call Pav now. You know, somebody might be joint, just joining us to say, well, you're calling him Pav? What, you know him for years or something? All right. <laughs> but but uh, anyways, he's, he's, he's a tailback from Susquehanna uh, University. Uh, he's been rolling up uh, prolific numbers this season. Last year he broke 1,000 yards. I think he's done it this year already. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Dave, but uh, you've been having a great season. I want to talk about somebody else who's had a decent season, at times great season. And uh, we have to go back to, I think, our third show. Uh, Derek Pope joined us uh, right after your guys' amazing Susquehannacentennial at Susquehanna uh, victory over Merchant Marine Academy and that big comeback. Tell us about your relationship with Derek Pope, and tell us about Derek Pope in general. Give, give us some fun facts about him, because he seemed like a fun guy when we had him on the air. Uh, me and Derek, you know, uh, we're – we're actually really good friends, you know. Actually, uh, we, were, we were down on the goal line uh, against uh, WPI just yesterday, and he's actually just standing in the backfield. And we caught, we had uh, our uh, we was we had four verts called down by the goal line, and he turned back knowing that our receiver was you know triple covered. He goes he goes just where he goes just run a flare, and I'm like all, all right, which is basically where I just check wide. I check wide. He throws the ball to me, even though I'm, I'm not supposed to be part of the route because I'm supposed to be in blocking, but he threw it to me, and, you know, we scored, which is my first reception touchdown since I've been at Susquehanna. Uh, that was the nine-yarder uh, that I saw on the stat sheet? That's, that was it. That We were down on the goal line. I think it might have been the, the third touchdown, but, yeah, he – he just installed me in the play without, you know, coaches knowing or anything. And well, Yeah, not, he's a senior, right? <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, you know, you ever seen any given Sunday? Has this really happened? Guys changing the plays out in the field? I mean, what's going on over there in Stillman's the Grove? <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't a big change. He didn't, like, he didn't, like, change coach's call or anything. He just, you know, he made the smart he made the smart choice where he saw that our receiver was going to be triple coverage, triple covered over by them, and I was just wide open in the flat, and he just told, told me to run a flare, and, you know, it worked out. But You thinking mean, about maybe throwing the Wildcat offense in next? What was that? The Wildcat offense? Uh, I don't, we we were talking about it last week, joking around, but um, Derek's uh, Derek's not much of a blocker, so we're we're gonna. Stop <laughs> Wildcat offense, folks. For those of you who don't know, being the uh, direct snap to the 
running back and you move the quarterback out to wide receiver. Kind of made famous it last year by Arkansas and this year by Dolphins. Actually, Bills tried a little bit today against Patriots. Didn't work out too well. But, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, just saying that a little tongue-in-cheek. Again, Eric Ren, Frank Rossi in the huddle, Black Talk Radio. Dave Pavlitz, Jr., running back for Susquehanna. Frank, i got to tell you, we have been blessed this evening with a couple fantastic guests so far. Would you agree? Seriously. It's been unreal. I mean, we had a freshman quarterback, a junior uh, running back that, you know, we don't know what we're getting when we uh, ask for interviews, Dave. Uh, we really don't. But you guys have been uh, off the charts. I, I, I'm excited to go up to this game in Seelands Grove, which is now scheduled apparently for 1 o'clock, which means I actually have to spend the night in Seelands Grove or thereabouts Saturday night. So anything speaking you can that, do to make it better. Speaking of that trip, I want to get your perspective. I, I like to ask this of uh, – I asked it of Derek Pope, and I'm going to ask it of you, Dave. You know, you guys present some of the longest travel times for these uh, Liberty League games as far as road trips. What's your take on just the dynamics of, of the conference in terms of geography and, and, and playing on the road and how it affects you guys, if at all? Uh, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, it is long trips. I mean, uh, this year, like I said, we went up to WPI. Um, you know, that's, that's like a seven-hour trip for us, seven, seven-and-a-half hours, somewhere around there. And uh, it, I, I actually don't mind going on the long trips. I mean, we're on the bus, the you know the 60 guys that were that were taken, you know, uh, on together. That I feel as more of a team bonding type of deal on our way up there. You know, we're we're just talking on the bus, and you know, uh, we're watching movies on the way up. I mean, it it is it does you know take a toll that you're coming into other people's um, atmospheres at their stadiums after a long dis, uh, distance. You don't really know what to expect. Do you practice there, or do you practice at home before you leave? Um, it, it depends on um, which you know how far away it is and what time the bus is leaving. Like uh, WPI, we just did, we used to, um, for WPI when we left, we left here at like uh, twelve o'clock, and we just do um, we we have this thing where we just get together on like the really far away trips like that, and we'll just get together and coach will call out a couple plays, and we have to uh, say what we're gonna do and make sure everything's perfect. We do our huddle check, all that um, for trips that were up uh, a little bit of closer ones, we uh, we do practice at home before we leave or do a huddle check. Um, I mean, the one time we were going up, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember where this was, we stopped at uh, State University in New York, uh, Oneata. Our bus broke down, and we ran plays in a parking lot. I can't remember which game that was, but we were running our plays in the parking lot because our bus broke down. So sometimes we don't even get a field to practice on. We make what we do with I tell you, Frank, I think these guys nowadays, you know, not to pick on the younger generation, but I think they got a little bit too soft. Movies on the bus, man, I would have killed for that back in the early 90s. Go what are you doing those long bus rides? We'd actually do homework. Do you even do that nowadays? <laughs> oh, so one of my friends was doing uh, homework behind me, but uh, we kind of, you know, kind of made fun of him, and then he got back into the movie scene. You know, we don't – when we, we got there, we just trying to – see good movies to show you good movies on the bus? Yeah, uh, we we watched we watched a ton this year because, like I said, the distance is long. But I mean, we've had a couple good ones on there. We've watched uh, any given Sunday. We just watched Miracle yesterday. Uh, Live Free, Die Hard yesterday. I mean, uh, we had a ton going on yesterday. Good flicks, good flicks. The old days, man. Had they used to wear the the old school cassette deck. Uh, you know, Walkman. Listen to my yeah. psych up music. I'm with you there, man. I'm with you. Hey, Dave. I got a question for you. It's a very important question for in the huddle purposes. Uh, what do you think of Notre Dame and Notre Dame's players? Be honest now. 
Notre, I'm not a big fan of Notre Dame. I, Where is I love you, Dave. I'm not, not a big fan at all, but uh, I'm a Penn State fan. They kind of choked yesterday, so I have no room to talk right now. Dave, you should have just told him you don't answer silly questions because this is intended to be a dig at me. You know, outside of Liberty League, my true passion, I'm also a Notre Dame fan. So that's Frank's attempt at at sticking it to me. I'll tell you. But, hey, uh, you you know, you're you're going into this last game, back to the the football team for a second here, you – Again, we know you have a great opportunity here to to, to finish six and five, but take us one step ahead to next season for a second. Not to get you too far out of the box, but what are the bright spots? What should we excite be excited about? What should the fans of Susquehanna football be excited about for you know the near term future beyond this season? Uh, it's it's definitely if we win this next game, it's just going to be our uh, the veterans that we're going to have on the team, um, and even the you know the people who are that we are losing. I mean, we have replacements that you know are just as good as what you know we're losing. So the good thing is is that we're we're losing a few. I mean, um, actually, my biggest my biggest loss I feel is going to be uh, our our fullback Charlie Henry, who is absolutely out, an outstanding blocker. Um, we do this thing. I, I'm not, I think Coach told you this when he was on there, Coach Briggs. Uh, he mentioned that we give roaches. They, they're like the pancakes or whatever that you call on the line. Uh, Chuck just recorded his uh, 26th pancake of the season in the last game. But uh, as far as our team next year, um, I think we're just our our talent and uh, our, just our our veteran that we're going to have, like the time that we've been together. Uh, it's just going to be the same explosion, the explosive offense. And the big thing is next year is that everybody's going to know our playbook. When we started out this season, you know, Coach Millen came in, you know, we were trying to adjust to the offense, you know, a week before it came in. And now everybody's just starting, you know, to feel the offense. And we're all gelling right now. And the big thing is that they're going to give us an offseason to, to even get more in tune with this with this playbook that we have this year that we've been putting numbers up with, and it's just going to be exciting again next year. I'm um, hoping that, you know, next year we're going to be one of the top teams in the, in the conference with uh, seeing how everything plays out. Hey, Dave, uh, as always, uh, like we gave uh, to Drew Connolly earlier, we want to give you the opportunity to do the shout-out portion of your program here. Shout-outs to your friends, family, teammates, whomever you'd like. Go right ahead. Uh, definitely first off, I want to – uh, give a shout out to my parents. I mean, they make, like how you said, with the long trips. They've made every uh, trip since I've been at Susquehanna through high school. They've come to everything. So definitely, I want to give out a shout out to them. Uh, my girlfriend, who should be listening right now, but I'm not sure if she is because she might be doing homework. But, <laughs> that's why we uh, have the archive. That's right. That's right. She can listen to you after her big paper. Yes, she can listen to it after she gets done studying. You know, I give a shout out to her. Uh, my roommate, who's currently right up the stairs from me, so I wasn't getting interfered with the, the station on the computer. He's upstairs, so I'll give him a shout-out. He wanted me to. Uh, and, of course, uh, everybody on our on our team, you know, at uh, our high school, the offense, defense at, at college, um, President Lemons, Coach Briggs, and uh, that's pretty much it. Frank, I have one fun fact here. just been checking. Go ahead. This, from a player standpoint, Congratulations here, Dave. You've now surpassed. You've been our longest interview 
not in a, not in saying that in a bad way, but we've thorough, I've thoroughly enjoyed. It. I know Frank has. You've been our longest interview as a player since uh, we started this show earlier in the season. So hats off to you for keeping the crowd very entertained. I don't know if you ever, have you ever listened to the show throughout the year. Uh, I try to catch it. Every, like I'll, I'll try to catch it. A lot of like Sunday work is when I'm I'm working. But when Derek was on, I listened. Uh, when Coach Briggs was on, I listened. I listened to the entire show. When you know we got somebody, on. I like to hear what's going on around the league. I mean, even like uh, before this before the show comes on, I try you know catching even the schedules when I get home from our game. You know, see how the Liberty League did. So this radio show is great. Uh, you get a little bit tidbit of insight on everybody else, you know, and you guys are great. And even Derek said you guys are great to talk to, and you guys are very entertaining. So it's well, it's thank you. I, I take that as a compliment. I do give the credit to Frank for putting together the Around the League. I think that's a nice segment that actually anyone who is a fan of of Liberty League football, it's nice to keep track of all the other teams. I think that's something that you know is good for the league. It's you know, I know. Hey, this interview, you're good for the league. Guys like you, you're a great story, good student athlete. You know, just just a fantastic you know person. We wish a lot of luck to. Thank you, Dave. I'll see you next week as I uh, call the Union game for uh, WABY, a Union commercial radio station. So uh, hopefully, get to shake your hand on the field uh, before the game. But we really enjoyed having you, Dave Pavlitz, junior tailback for Susquehanna University, who's helped uh, usher a hundred offensive points in two weeks for the Susquehanna Crusaders. And by the way, Frank, we're gonna. Take a spot here and mosey into our next guest coming up soon. Uh, our linebacker from Hobart, Jeff Sanders, and I think we're also going to be joined by our resident Hobart guru, uh, statesman analyst. But in the meantime, Frank, you know where everyone is? I think Eric Rand, that everybody is in the huddle. I'm a good driver. I look for cars. I pay attention. I I should have seen the little girl in the crosswalk. Please, look for pedestrians. Stop for them. Think of the impact you could make. A message from the Federal Highway Administration. So, EJ, we've designed you a signature shoe worthy of a three-time All-American with Mad Smarts and Sick leadership skills. There are over 380,000 NCAA student athletes. Yeah, you got your GPA in Boston, right? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and just about all of them will be going pro in something other than sports. Can I get it in a loafer for casual Fridays? Yes. Yes. The internet puts the world at our fingertips, but it can be a very dangerous place, especially for children. I'm Dean Sparks, Director of Children's Services. The Internet is just another door into your home. You wouldn't let a stranger walk through your front door, but ask yourself, who might my child be letting into the house through the computer? Here's what you can do. Teach your kids not to share personal information online. Educate yourself about Internet parental controls and have your kids show you their favorite websites. Be aware that they could also be surfing the web at the library or a friend's house. Put your computer in a place where you can monitor your children while they use it. Ask yourself, does your child spend a lot of time online late at night? Or change the screen quickly when you walk into the room? Are there calls from people you don't know? Suspicious telephone charges or unexplained gifts? Remember, if your child is online, you should be on guard. 
I'm Dean Sparks. For more on what parents should know, visit us on the web at lucaskids.net. All season long, let D3Football.com be your home for all the Division Three football action on the road to the Stag Bowl. From interactive blogs and message boards to columns from around the region and around the nation on your favorite teams, nobody covers NCAA Division Three better than D3Football.com. As the playoffs approach, get the scoop on who's in and who's out from the experts who picked all 32 teams last year. Don't go anywhere else and get the info from the source for Division Three football at www.D3Football.com. You are in the huddle. The only weekly talk show devoted to NCAA Division III Liberty League Conference College Football. And now back to Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York. Your hosts, Eric Red and Frank Rossi. Bella the holder, the snap is low, gets it down, kick is on the way, the kick is good! Hobart's won the game! Frank, I had to play that for our next guest. <laughs> yeah, we, we've got a little change, unfortunately. I'm not sure if uh, Justin Sanders is going to be able to join us, unfortunately, uh, with uh, everything that's been going on over there and uh, practices and whatnot. Uh, from what I understand, just got a message that uh, he might not be able to join us. We hope he does, though. So. Jeff, if you're listening, come on, call us up. Uh, 646-200-0576 is the number. But uh, we, we've got a stand-in, at least, uh, somebody who actually knows a little bit about Jeff Sanders' hometown, I believe, uh, from a message I was lost earlier today. Uh, James Baker, uh, our resident Hobart uh, specialist, as we'll call him, and uh, USC perhaps also. Uh, you had a double dip yesterday, James, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I attended both institutions, so I was listening to the Hobart game in the morning, and then I actually got to attend the uh, SC Cal game in the afternoon. So, yeah, it was a pretty full day of uh, college football, both Division three and one. Let's just you remind know, our listeners that Pat Coleman's going to be joining us. I'm I sorry, only yeah, Eric, just wanted to remind them. I was going to say, I only go as far as playing a Hobart clip on, on, you know, to lead James in. I'm not going to start playing, uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the USC fight song. No way. It's just yeah. ingrained in my brain. I can't do that for James. <laughs> oh, God. No problem. What, what do you think of Notre Dame, James? Uh, that's our evolving question this I'm week. Touching it. Notre Dame rampage tonight. I don't understand what his problem is. Yeah, Notre Dame's got some got some issues. Um, it, you know, Clawson actually played uh, his high school football about 15 minutes up the freeway from where I live now, and you know, he, he was definitely a, a man among boys in the in the um, Southern Cal prep leagues. But I think he's he's finding out that you know it's a, a different story when you're playing the type. You of were game. a man amongst boys in the Connecticut high school legendary field of play, weren't you, James? So, something like that, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Frank, we actually have one question now that James is on. <clears throat> I, I think I'll actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still recovering from staying out in the rain a little bit yesterday. I think I'll actually roll this question on, on the air here. Someone asked if my opinion as an RPI guy, if the black uniforms did RPI in. Interesting question. Uh, a lot of pageantry, pageantry around 86 field yesterday, uh, you know, the last home game, regular season home game ever for them. And RPI did some celebration stuff. They brought out the alumni, and you know earlier, uh, a couple weeks ago, the players I guess had voted that they were going to wear black for the last uniform. RPI's home uniforms being the traditional cherry, cherry and white. The RPI players, you know, voted to uh, 
purchased new commemorative jerseys for that game, and all the alumni wore black T-shirts, so it was something a little different. And, uh, you know, trying to get that emotional lift. You've seen other teams do that. Notre Dame sometimes brings out the Kelly Green. Although RPI never wore black before, so this was something kind of new. So you want to you wanna support the players. You want to support the guys that got you there, and that was their decision. So, unfortunately, you know, it didn't give them the emotional boost that they wanted. Um, you, you always pull for them. You, don't, you know, you, you, you support the decisions the, the program makes. Me, personally, I just like the red jerseys, you know. Black looks cool, but, hey, you know, my opinion, maybe I would have stayed with the red. I don't know. You know, it's tough to say. You know, those are the guys that are playing. fashion tip. This What's fashion that? tip brought to you by Eric Wren. <laughs> Some commentary. Yeah, I'm trying to answer a question in the chat room, Frank. You know, you see the question there. Um, Frank, actually, actually, I have a question. I would like, you know, for the life of me, for you uh, to explain the you, – you were making some fairly bold predictions about the Hobart Army. You know, I, I was going to bring this up earlier. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, let, me, let me get into it. Let me get listen, into it. I'm going to say you one thing before you get into it, though, Frank. I have said that this game has been decided by a touchdown or less several years in a row. Most of my career in the early 90s was decided by a touchdown or less. So that outcome, that score, the, you know, the scoring itself doesn't surprise me. And just to tie out on this jersey question, someone just brought this up again. That whole thing was proposed during the preseason. That that's what someone's hearing. I don't know if that's validated or not, but that would make sense. You don't just roll with that that week. You got to order jerseys. You got to you know clear it with the administration, all that stuff. So, hey, I'm a red guy. Everything I own is red. You know, that's that's uh, to, to answer your question, but also not you know offend anyone. I don't know. You know. I think it would have been easier. I think it would have been easier to, to justify if they won. But hey, it's 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 their decision, right? You know, you gotta respect it. You gotta roll with it, just like politics, right? Someone makes a decision, you know, you roll with it and you support it. So, okay, there, there's a pending question on the floor that I I'm not gonna duck from uh, James. Uh, and here's what I gotta say about it. You know what? Honestly, RPI's defense did what I thought they were gonna do, at least in the, my score prediction. I said my predicted score is 45-14. And lo and behold, I mean, you they throw out that, that prediction. <laughs> oh, stop. You, you know, if you throw out the punt uh, block uh, return for a touchdown, it would have been 13 offensive points, I believe, uh, for Hobart, if uh, my math is correct. Yes. Okay. So you look at that part. Then look at the part about RPI. RPI rolls up nearly 400 yards of offense. They're in the opposition's territory nine times, I believe, during that game. At least eight, maybe nine. The, the score I put forth, in a lot of ways, was capable of happening in that game. The difference was that getting closer to the 20s, or to the 20-yard uh, line, or 30-yard line, RPI couldn't put it away. The Aaron Silvasi injury didn't help matters at all, and Hobart's defense really stood him up. And I, I didn't factor that in. I didn't think they would be able to beat down Jimmy Robertson's pass as well as they did going 18 for 44. That was the difference. I mean, the game did line up in a lot of the ways that I had suggested. It's just they couldn't ultimately put the numbers on the scoreboard, such as the first possession when they threw a pick in the end zone uh, from the about 11 or 10-yard line. Frank, you forget one thing, though. Any good team, we see it every week on any level of Division One college or pros, Teams can move the ball between the 25 to the 25. <clears throat> I mean, most teams can move the ball, you know, across 75% of the field. I think James will agree with me on this. You know, moving it that last 25 yards or that last 10 into the end zone, I mean, that's a whole different 
ball wax, man. I mean, you know, I'm not surprised RPI would move the ball or can move the ball up and down the field, but putting it, really putting it in the end zone, you know, you pick up that the, deep, the back of the end zone becomes an extra defender for you, especially if you have a vertical passing game. It's just a whole different set of you know scenarios when you start talking about getting a touchdown out of the red zone. I mean, James, what, what I've got you a, I'm sorry. No, no, I agree with you guys. And actually, you know, going into the game, I think Hobart was was actually letting you know teams score on them about seventy something percent of the time. So their their red zone defense wasn't really good up until last Saturday. Um, you know, they somehow were able to turn it up a notch and come up with some big stops when they needed them. As uh, you know, like Frank had said, they, you know, during the year they were relatively easy to to score on. You know. Based on the just based on the general statistics, and you know, I, I was I was surprised in one level that um, RPI shut down our, our running game. I think our freshman quarterback, the guy who came in after Rich Doyle went down, uh, Doug Vela, had the most rushing yards out of any Hobart player, which was like 40, 40 something yards. So I give a lot of credit to RPI's rush defense, and you know, fortunately we had a you know some some good passing, but I'm, I'm really worried about a, a Hobart team going far in the in the playoffs if they can't seem to get – I mean, they haven't had, I think, one game this year where one of their rushers came even close to 100 yards, just an individual you know, running back. So that could be a problem. I got a question for you, uh, just generally, though, James. I mean, in general, the point I brought up is about Hobart's offense and my concerns generally. You brought up some issues right there in your discussion, but – Going long term, how effective, how potent do you think Hobart's offense can be with everything that's going on? You know, unfortunately, I think that they're, uh, you know, they're a 21 to 24 point, you know, offense. Um, you know, the the Union, you know, game notwithstanding, when they they were, you know, flirting with you know, 40 points there, but you know, this isn't your typical explosive, um, you know, 400 yards of total offense, uh, you know, 30-something, 40-something points per game uh, that we've, you know, gotten accustomed to in the last couple of years. It's more of a, you know, ball control, um, time of possession, you know, grind it out type, even though, you know, by grinding, I really mean, you know, short, maybe some short passes, um, you know, just sort of three, four yards per play type of thing. So, I don't really see them, you know, they're not going to put, you know, 35, 40 points on, on any of the playoff-bound teams, so they're going to really need to rely on big plays like they did on Saturday, punt blocks, field goals, um, stuff like that to keep them in game. Any kind of quarterback controversy brewing for the rest of the season, James, you think? Well, that's a good question because uh, Vela came in and played great. Um, you know, they saw some comments on the message board saying, like, and geez, put Rich Doyle back in because this kid is killing us. But uh, you know, I, I think it depends on the injury, um, you know, how how banged up he is. I, I imagine that you know Coach Craig uh, you know, will, will look at that. They'll probably you know it's probably just like any other football program. It's a weekly competition, and if uh, Vela proves to be the better guy, then they should go with him. Yeah, we uh, we put in a question actually to uh, Sports Information Director Ken DeBolt uh, at Hobart. And uh, he said to me, uh, I, I don't think I'm telling any tales out of school by quoting this, I have no update on Rich Doyle at this point. Uh, typically injuries, unless they're deemed serious, which I don't think applies here, aren't evaluated until Monday morning by the medical staff. So I'm sorry I can't tell you more uh, at this time. So it is inconclusive right now what Doyle's status will be, uh, especially 
against Rochester. And uh, what do you think about Rochester, a team that seemed to bounce back without its starting quarterback, without its starting tailback against obviously somewhat uh, less than uh, what we thought they'd be in wins and losses, St. Lawrence yesterday? Yeah. You know, Rochester always um, gives us a tough game. I mean, I think they're pretty much our oldest active rivalry. Uh, Last year they uh, started up a new tradition called the Centennial Cup. I think this will be the 101st time that we – play Rochester and they you know they sort of like I think with their crosstown rival with St. John Fisher they always they always give us a good game I think it'll be the same thing um, I'm inter- I was interested to hear you mention about the tailback because that that guy ran for like 150 something yards on us last season so um, you know once again I mean Hobart defense is going to have to see what they can do about containing the run they didn't do it against RPI but it didn't ultimately you know bite us in the you know what, so um, it, it's going to be one of those, I think it'll be sort of a, another bend, don't break type of day. That Sonderbricker had 205 yards in relief for Anyruka, uh for Rochester, which is an impressive little number right there. Uh, and then the backup quarterback ends up tying the single game uh, passing uh, touchdown record for Rochester yesterday. So you don't know what you're going to get in that game for sure. Hey, Frank, we actually have a little treat here, and I hope James can stay with us. It's that time of the season, folks, where the postseason picture starts to get a little, little more defined, but in some cases also a little murky. You know, there's various teams competing for both automatic qualifiers than pool, pool B and Pool C bids. So to that point, we have Pat Coleman who's going to join us after a commercial break. He is the publisher, managing editor for D3Football.com, a friend of the program, a friend of In the Huddle, one of our supporters. So we're going to take a spot and come back, and Pat's going to help us give his perspective and try to make sense of some of this crazy postseason picture that just took another turn for it yesterday, not only in the Liberty League, but also some crazy stuff in the Empire 8, the other prime New York State conference. So to treat for our fans here, exclusive extra bonus coverage on In the Huddle, you are with Eric Ren and Frank Rossi on In the Huddle on blogtalkradio.com. Back with Pat Coleman from D3 Football in just a sec. All season long, let D3Football.com be your home for all the Division Three football action on the road to the Stag Bowl. From interactive blogs and message boards to columns from around the region and around the nation on your favorite teams, nobody covers NCAA Division Three better than D3Football.com. As the playoffs approach, get the scoop on who's in and who's out from the experts who picked all 32 teams last year. Don't go anywhere else. Get the info from the source for Division Three football at www.D3Football.com. You are listening to In the Huddle on blogtalkradio.com, the only source for weekly Liberty League action in NCAA Division III football's Liberty League Conference. So once again, back to Studio One in Saratoga Springs, New York, your hosts, Eric Wren and Frank Rossi. And I'm actually sitting in Studio Three in Boca Raton, Florida right now, so uh, Studio, Studio two. two being a Coral Cables. Is there a Studio uh, Two? Yes, that's Coral Gables. We'll make okay. this Studio 3. <laughs> so, I got you. you know, I, I get around. Uh, there's no doubt about it. we got James Baker uh, still with us, our uh, Hobart uh, college guru. Currently the leaders, uh, by virtue of a tiebreaker now, uh, for the Liberty League Pool A bid, and we bring that up, especially because our next guest is going to have a little insight with us as to the biggest question that's being asked today. No doubt about it. And I, I know he knows it's coming up. Does... 7-1, uh, well, at that point, hopefully 8-1 RPI 
do they get into the playoffs from a pool seat bid, assuming the Hobart wins next week? Let's introduce Pat Coleman. You are in the huddle from D3Football.com. Pat, how are you? Well, I'm doing all right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the time of year where I don't get a whole lot of sleep. So I'm, uh, you know, basically getting as much caffeine as I can and trying to plow through as many uh, numbers and stories and scenarios and uh, and all sorts of things. But not only that, but uh, since basketball starts on Saturday, a week earlier than usual, uh, it's pretty busy around here. Yeah, you got baseball, football, soccer, uh, and basketball. When do you sleep? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's soccer's uh, selection Sunday for women tonight and then the matchup Monday for both men and women's soccer tomorrow. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Are we going to see, like, a D3Volleyball.com? Are you going to start branching off into any more of the uh, exotic sports, Pat? Well, I'm not sure how exotic volleyball is. Uh, maybe water <laughs> polo would be uh, exotic. And there's you only, like, you know, there's only like 40 Division three water polo teams, so you could probably do that in like five minutes. But, you know, um, I still have uh, the whole full-time day job thing going. But if somebody steps up and says they want to do a Division three volleyball site and they can show me how they can make it work, then we'll do what we did for uh, soccer and baseball. Yeah. You make an interesting point, Pat. I think a lot of our listeners, I don't think they realize that you actually do have a, you know, gainful full-time job. I think they think that this is a – self-sustaining entity that this is where you devote 100% of your time. Are you able to at least set our viewers straight on that now? <laughs> yeah, no, I have a I have a full-time journalist's job. Uh, I've been doing that ever since I uh, got out of college. I, have, I would love to do D3.com full-time, but it's uh, not exactly financially viable at the moment. We will it's kind of like Sarah Palin. Right Sarah Palin was a journalist, but you're just not as hot, though. That's the only problem. <laughs> That's I, the kind of stuff yeah, I've been putting up with so all year. Pat. Ways oh, I could, feel, there's so many ways pain, I could my go. Friend. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I line that one up. You will be on the selection yeah. show this year, right? On, NC, on ESPN again? Well, um, they've. Uh, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, they've cut the selection show back to five minutes. Uh, so I will be on the show by phone, it sounds like. Uh, there's no sense of me going to Bristol for, uh, you know, for a five minute show. So I'll be doing my gig by phone, and we'll see what it sounds like. And to be honest with you, if the ESPN's only going to do five minutes on it, then I, I think that uh, uh, at D3Football.com we might just uh, fill in the gap a little bit and maybe do our own post-selection analysis show. But uh, there, that's uh, that's probably a 50-50 thing right now. I'm, I, I can't commit to it uh, actually happening just yet. So that, that, being, looks, that being said, though, Pat, what does your East region look like as of November 9th? Well, uh, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to just lift out the East region. You know what I mean? You can't really just uh, look at one region in isolation because the the at-large bids are you know they're handed out on a national basis. So, um, you know, I, I'm looking at probably uh, I don't I, to be honest with you, it's not going to be until a little bit later in the week when I sit down and do everything where I figure out exactly who I who I would pick if the season had ended today. I could tell you, um, you know, where RPI stands right now in the pecking order, uh, you know, RPI is ahead of teams like Washington and Jefferson. I think they're ahead of Redlands. Uh, you know, clearly they're behind uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. They're behind Ithaca. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, I think Hampton Sydney might jump them in the kind of pecking order this week. Uh, Otterbein stays ahead of them. Um, I, and Harden Simmons stays ahead of them. So I really, I think we come into, we, we come into Monday with three locks, I think, right now in Pool C, and those are 
uh, Hardin Simmons, Otterbein, and Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, you know, if you're a if you're an RPI fan or just a Liberty League fan who wants to see two teams from the league get in, uh, you want to root for like Wisconsin Stevens Point to lose. That'll give Whitewater the automatic bid. That'll take them out of Pool C consideration altogether. Uh, I think you want to see Montclair State lose because uh, they're uh, they're right ahead of you. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt for Ithaca to pick up a second loss. You know, there's a lot of things that could go uh, RPI's way right now. I I would have to say RPI is probably you'd have to really consider them a bubble team. They're probably I would be guessing right now without doing all of my math, but probably about sixth or seventh in the in the race for the six pool C slots. Yeah, let's let's back up for one second because some of our listeners might not uh, understand the full uh, technicalities here from the national point of view. Let me just kind of uh, set that up if I can. Uh, there's the three pools, Pool A, B, and C. Pool A is the 23 automatic qualifiers from the 23 qualifying conferences. Pool B is the rest of the teams. There's three slots for those teams that aren't in qualifying conferences. And then Pool C is the remaining six slots for teams that uh, didn't win in Pool A or Pool B. They throw them all together. They're at-large bids, essentially. As of yesterday, Pat, I, I did, kind of did the math that I was talking to you while we were doing uh, some of it, too. Uh, there are 20, uh, 36, excuse me, 36 teams that are undefeated or with one loss in the region. And we know currently that seven of those one-loss teams or undefeated teams will not get in, at least seven of those teams. I mean, does it get tougher every year from that perspective? It seems like this year there are more one-loss teams than ever. And does the committee even look at two-loss teams in this type of situation? Uh, you know, I mean, it kind of depends on the year. Uh, you know, some years two-loss teams will get in, and, and some years they won't. And this year, to be honest with you, I'm looking over the, I'm looking over the the, the list here of teams that have two losses, and I don't see any of these teams uh, really getting an at-large bid. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams on this list that we were talking about. You know, not very long ago, just a week ago, Trinity Texas just joined this list. Uh, Hartwick just joined this list. Those are teams that would have been considered for at-large bids, I think, if they had won out. Um, you know, Rowan picked up loss number two, but somebody was going to pick up a, a loss in that Rowan-Montclair game. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of a year-by-year thing. It does – it seems this year that, uh, you know, because there's an extra automatic bid, that the, the race for the at-large bids is a little tighter. Um, you know, I think we'll need to see how uh, – how this progresses because there there will be the the same number of automatic bids next year, but then in 2010 there will be another, and you know uh, the, it, it as the uh, as more and more teams kind of coalesce into conferences and those conferences pick up bids, it, it does seem like the at large race will get a little tighter and there's no chance of expanding beyond 32 teams in football. So this could be kind of the the wave of the future if there's no uh, major restructuring in Division Three on the horizon. Pat, uh, there's a question in the chat room that just kind of, uh, I think, reemphasizes the point you made, but we'll ask it just uh, to make our listeners happy. If Ithaca loses to Cortland, uh, do you see Ithaca getting the boot completely from the playoffs as things stand right now? Well, I mean, it depends on what else happens elsewhere, but I see them then being behind uh, RPI if RPI wins, and, and then Ithaca would be probably, I think, maybe third in the pecking order out of the east uh, behind uh behind Montclair and RPI. Um, I think that, you know, Ithaca would stay ahead of uh, Curry. I would expect, I would hope they would stay ahead of Hudson, but it's kind of hard to tell. I'm not sure how they're measuring Hudson, to be honest with you. That's really yeah, let's like talk about Hudson, actually. 
You brought up Hudson. What is Hudson is a team that is seven it's seven and two to a lot of people. But explain why they're not really seven and two and how what the problem is here. Yeah, well, because basically the way Division Three measures it is uh, by in-region games, and uh, not only in not only is uh, Hudson undefeated in region, they're also undefeated against Division Three teams. Their two losses came to Division Two schools. So, um, you know, in the eyes of the committee. For most of the process, yeah, Hudson is going to be looked at as a 7-0 and team. Now, they're going to be looked at as a 7-0 and team with a very weak schedule. They, uh, you know, Among the teams that are looking for at-large bids, only Washington and Jefferson right now has a, uh, has a, has a weaker schedule. So, uh, you know, Hudson will probably struggle to get in that way. We currently uh, don't think that they will get in with one of the Pool B slots because they are not in a qualifying conference. So... Um, they're dependent on Pool B or Pool C to get in. I don't see them getting in in Pool B. And, you know, from where they've been slotted in the East Region rankings gives us some indication as to what the committee thinks about them uh, in terms of Pool C status. And they are behind, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six teams last week that had one loss. And the only team behind them in the, in the, in the top ten was Curry out of the NFC. So, um, you know, it, it kind of gives them indication as to where they're thinking of them right now at the very least. So, Pat, just so I can can clarify something. Again, folks, this is Eric Wren and Frank Rossi in the huddle. You're, we're here. Uh, luckily, we have with us Pat Coleman from D3Football.com helping us sort out the playoff picture and give some of his take on things. It's always a pleasure to have Pat. Did, now, Pat, did you just say there are roughly six teams competing for one Pool C spot? Did I hear you correctly? That the well, no, I think, I think we probably identify maybe 10 or 11 teams that are in serious consideration for Pool C for those six slots. Uh, okay, okay, so, okay. I misunderstood that. So there, there are six slots and about 10 or 11 teams vying for them. Yeah, that's what, that's what we see right now anyway, barring upsets uh, next week for sure. So, I mean, Pat, you know, just speaking for a second from a Liberty League perspective, if things play out the way they, they like, they might, you know, obviously Rochester could give Hobart a good game, but if Hobart plays well, they should be able to take care of business and win the Liberty League and, and if RPI takes care of Merchant Marine, you know, they're both 8-1, and but Hobart wins the Liberty League because of the tiebreaker. If you're an RPI football fan in Troy, I mean, you just said 10 or 11 teams competing for six slots. Talked about this quite a bit. I know you've, you've commented on it. You, know, you talk about strength of schedule at a time like this. How much optimism should an RPI fan have or not have at this point of the season, assuming they finish 8-1? and one? Um, it's not it's not great right now. Uh, you, you'd be uh, RPI fans would be happier if if uh, Montclair loses. They'd be happier if Ithaca lost to Cortland. Then you'd be in a better position. You, where you want to be is you you, you want to get on the table. And kind of the way it works is basically the committee will take the top at large candidate from each of the four regions and they'll compare all four of them side by side. So if you're the top at large candidate from the east you're guaranteed you're going to get looked at, and you will get looked at against the top north, south, and west team. If you have to wait to get onto the table, like if you're, if you're say, uh, RPI right now, and let's say you're third in the pecking order behind Ithaca and Montclair State, that means Ithaca and Montclair both have to get chosen before RPI even gets looked at. Uh, so that, that's, the, that's the, the issue right now, I think, is um, <clears throat> RPI is a little bit low in the pecking order in the east region where we, where we think they'll end up 
And we'll know more Wednesday afternoon when the NCA gives us that last uh, public set of regional rankings. But, um, but, but is there consideration? Not, it, is not, it is not impossible for them to take three Pool C teams from the East. Absolutely not impossible. There's no maximum or minimum. They could take all six from the East if they want, or they could take all six from the West or split them up. It doesn't matter. It's whoever has the best credentials nationally. But do you think there's, any, we, considera- do you think there's any consideration when, when the committee looks at the various available teams and they look at an RPI team who has one loss and its only loss is the Hobart team that wins the league and it's a tough game and those two teams are battling for the conference title any every year anyway and Hobart's been a perennial postseason team. I mean, do they view that as a positive for RPI? I think some of the things that you mentioned get considered. I'm not sure all of them do. Uh, I'm not sure last year or years past has a lot to do with it. I do think that you know when you have so many teams with one loss and the criteria doesn't give us a whole lot to work with in order to distinguish among them. You know, one of the things that the committee could look at is, you know, okay, look at all these one-loss teams. Who's the team they lost to? And for RPI, they lost to Hobart. That's, that's, you know, that's a fairly decent team. For Otterbein, you know, they lost to Mount Union. You pretty much put them in. You know, for Hampton-Sydney, they lost to Catholic. And, you know, I love Catholic. It's my alma mater. But they're not as good as Hobart. And I think that would be a that would be a place where RPI looks a little bit better, but there are also a lot of numbers that go on. And you know, if you if you also you look at RPI, another way you can kind of distinguish teams is who's the best team that that this team has beaten. Uh, and you know, for RPI, I don't know what the what the answer is. That if if, if what the best team that RPI has beaten is WPI. Yeah, well, sure I don't know either. Over. I certainly the wheels came off yeah. them the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, and, it, and it, it, for Hampton City, the best team they've beaten is Huntingdon, which is going to end up being uh, either nine and one or eight and two. Um, you know, that's that's something where where they look a little, a little bit better. You know, I guess the you know at the very least, you have to be glad you're not uh, Washington and Jefferson because uh, W and J really does not look good under um, most any measure right now, uh, mathematically, anecdotally, whatnot. So, uh, you know, I mean, it, RPI certainly could be in a worse position, but. Uh, the, the 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 credentials and the the resume right now are are, are a little bit thin. Hey Pat, uh, James Baker has a question, but first I'd like to uh, state two things. Number one, uh, you folks are listening to In the Huddle, Frank Rossi, Eric Wren. Uh, we're being joined by James Baker, our Hobart guru, and the voice you just heard was Pat Coleman, uh, D3Football.com managing editor. Also, uh, from Pat's site, I, I don't know if uh, people are listening have seen it yet, but Hobart is now in the top 25. Uh, they are at number 24. Uh, RPI has fallen out of the poll with the loss, and, our, and Hobart has uh, moved into number 24. So, uh, James, congratulations to your team on uh, entering the top 25 now. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's been, I think, about two years since Hobart last appeared in the top 25. And, you know, like talking with uh, Keith McMillan the other night, you know, it's a, it's a, it is pretty rare, you know, given the 230-something teams to, to be in the top 25 is, is something that's a, a great accomplishment. So, And, uh, Pat, it's great to talk to you. Thanks again for all you do for you know, D3 football and its fans. Um, the question I had was, what would an Ithaca win and, and a Cortland loss do to the East region as far as, you know, opening up the possibility for a, you know, we'll just call it you know, an import, for lack of better words, someone like a Mount Union who came in and was given the number one last year, not really an East Region team, but still within the 500-mile um, driving distance from, uh, from Ithaca for last year's game, for example. How, do you, how would you see that shaking out? 
Yeah, I, I think that probably the the East will will end up having to bring in somebody. Uh, now, I'm not sure if uh, you know. The thing is, is that last year when the NCAA brought a, t- a, a, a team in to be the number one seed in the East, uh, you know that was a that was a fairly unusual occurrence. You know, that has been there have been many years, and this has been you know on the books legal possible since 1999. I think there have been other years where. Uh, the East has really deserved to have somebody else come in and take the number one seed, and the NCAA hasn't done it. So for them to do it last year was a bit of a surprise. And, um, you know, the, there are two things at, at play here. One, uh, uh, you know, not surprisingly is money. Uh, you know, whatever the NCAA can do to, to keep, the, uh, to keep the, the expenses down, they'll do. Uh, you know, the second thing is that, you know, there has to be some kind of political will at the, at the top in order for this to happen. And, and there's – there's kind of, it's, it's kind of a two-person game sort of at the top. There's the national chair who is uh, usually either a coach or an athletic director at a school. Uh, they're on one side. And then on the other side is the, the person who's the, the NCAA employee who's in charge. And that person holds the purse strings a little bit. and, and uh, Well, actually not a little bit. That person holds the purse strings a lot and has a little bit of effect on the shape of the bracket, but not necessarily a whole lot. So the the NCAA employee has changed. The the person who was in charge of football in years past has been uh, moved up to a to another level within the NCAA. Has gotten promoted uh, after really 15 years of really good work, uh, including on Division three football. Uh, the chair is still the same. Uh, that's Dick Kaiser, the uh, athletic director at Defiance. Uh, you know, so if they were willing to do this last year, I don't really know who drove it. Whether it was uh, Dick Kaiser or uh, you know, the NCAA's people, but, uh, you know, the, some of those personalities are still there. The committee is, you know, has a lot of the same faces as last year. The, the only thing that, um, you know, obviously politically it's not a very popular move uh, among East Region schools when Mount Union comes in to take over your bracket, obviously. Uh, so I think that's something that, uh, you know, may be considered as well. Um, but I think, you know, if you're an East Region fan, you you kind of want to root for Cortland just to make sure that Mount Union stays out of your bracket. Because I think that if Cortland wins, uh, you may still only have seven teams out of East that qualify. You might uh, end up bringing in Muhlenberg. They would probably be the number two seed. And I think Muhlenberg is, uh, you know, somebody that would not uh, – wouldn't blow teams away. I, I think uh, Muhlenberg would, would be – a challenge would be challenged in the second round and would probably lose in the in the in the regional finals, something like that, or at least be on the ropes. Pat, Pat Coleman, D3 Football.com, publisher, managing editor, taking our questions right now. Pat, we got a question from the chat room. Um, one of the fans asking, "What seed do you see Hobart getting right now if they win out and win the Liberty League title and get the automatic qualifier?" Um, let me see. Uh, Hobart is either probably going to be a well, I guess it depends on what happens to Ithaca. Uh, but Hobart will either be four or five in this week's regional rankings. Um, let me see if I have enough windows open that I can uh, pull up what the the rest of the numbers are and maybe give you a better guess on that. But um, I think that uh, that's probably what they're looking at. Uh, if you presume that – I think that if, if Ithaca beats Cortland, then I think Cortland stays above – uh, Hobart, um, and, and they stay in the same spot. If Cortland beats Ithaca, then Ithaca probably drops below Hobart, and Hobart could be in line for a home game in that situation. Do you think if Cortland beats Ithaca, RPI goes ahead of Ithaca in the regional rankings? Man, 
Well, it'll be a question <laughs> of what's what's more important to them, it'll, uh, the one loss or the better strength of schedule. Because, you know, not only is Ithaca's strength of schedule better now, it's going to be mo better next year, next week, because, uh, you know, uh, RPI's opponent's winning percentage is going to go down, and Ithaca's is going to go up, uh, you know, a pretty significant jump for this time of year with uh, so many games already being played. Ithaca's already ahead of RPI uh, right now uh, in terms of strength of schedule, uh, both opponents winning percentage and opponents' opponents. Um, I think that I, I, I would rank them that way, even if Ithaca lost to Cortland, because, you know, the rankings tell us that Ithaca is supposed to lose to Cortland. So why would that, you know, why would that change? That, that's kind of my take on it anyway. Can I go back for one second? Did you really sure. just use the term "mo better"? I was thinking that too. <laughs> Did you like that? Oh that's my a, goodness! That's a Minnesota thing, right, Pat? Uh, yeah, Spike Lee is from uh, you know downtown St. Cloud, I think, if I'm not mistaken. There you go. Hey, yeah, uh, Pat, we're yeah, gonna let no. you go because we know you have a lot of things on your plate uh, right now and throughout the week, and. Uh, you know, we'll try to maybe get some words from you next week if possible. Uh, after everything does pan out, you'll be sleep deprived, we know, but we'll, we'll see if we can get you to utter some things that make sense uh, after the fact uh, as well as before because you've been very helpful here on, uh, in the huddle tonight. And, uh, again, folks, you've been listening to Pat Coleman. Pat, you know what, we, we offer all the players shout-outs. Do you have any? <laughs> I want to shout-out to the committee and uh, see if we can break up those West Coast teams or those Texas teams this year. Maybe we can get a real bracket rather than having one in three seeds playing in the first round. How about that? That's actually a very interesting well, good point that you bring up. Along so they can hear the archive and maybe take your words to heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some of the links. I don't have the fifty thousand dollars to send them, so I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be. I'm not, I'm not sure my words are going to do much. Well, hey, we'll uh, we'll see what we can do uh, over the next week. But nonetheless, again, Pat Coleman from D3Football.com. We're going to be back here to discuss quickly the ECACs, our predictions, and a whole lot more here on In the Huddle. You're listening to In the Huddle on Block Talk Radio. All right, folks, it seems like we're having just a hair of a uh, little bit of a freeze on our switchboard. So That was a great commercial. I, I, I've never enjoyed one more. It's well, you know. Sometimes silence is golden, Frank. So we're hitting, we're hitting new heights of, of, of the golden age here. Well, you know. You gotta be a bit crazy. You gotta be a bit. Well, that was it. That, you know. Let's see if we can make that work one more time. We'll try once more, folks. We do have to get a word from our sponsors in, so let's see if we can make it work. I don't think it's gonna work tonight, Frank. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just? Why don't we just keep going? Keep going, you know, we're, we're technologically challenged here, live radio, but we make the best of it. You just heard Pat Coleman from D3Football.com, managing editor, publisher, a big supporter of ours, and a guy who basically brings uh, D3 sports to the masses through D3Football.com. Check out post patterns in the message boards, follow us along in the Liberty League room, and you can... you got to be a big crit- <laughs> D3Football.com. He's going to join us again next week to help with the playoff picture. This is uh, the last segment of the show. We're going to get you out of here a little early tonight. We still have James from Los Angeles with us, our Hobart guru, celebrating his team's big win that just took over the lead in the Liberty League. And if they keep things going 
they're going to have uh, another trip to the NCAA. Hip so, Frank, what's that? Hip Hobart, five years in a row. No. Um, you know, yeah, you know what? I, just, Jeff just Sanders has been there for all five. Just weren't trying to run this like a smooth ship, real professional segue. you got to come in with that. Ugh. Well, no, that's I, I was going to – hold on one second. I was going to bring up Jeff Sanders, who uh, couldn't uh, join us, unfortunately. He's been there for all five. I mean, you've got to put in perspective the fact that Hobart has not missed in, uh, since it's become the Liberty League. Uh, it has not missed going to the playoffs since 2004 when this all started, and that's incredible. I, I mean, all roads lead to Geneva at the end of the day, I guess. It's been a great run. I mean, I think um, you know, going back to our conversation from the other week, there's, there's just been a change with um, you know, some of the way the offense has is, is, is kind of been able to – score a lot more points the, the defense hangs in there and you know we've, we got we got a couple of breaks you know uh, that Robinson blocked punt last uh, last Saturday was a perfect example of that sometimes you know it's not just being good it's being a little lucky too hey we got some uh, comments going on on the board making their own predictions about Rochester Hobart let me uh, take a step back first and uh, explain briefly uh, we've heard our NCAA predictions. Let me talk about ECACs for teams that aren't going to be as uh, fortunate as RPI and Hobart to be in the uh, main uh, discussion. Right now, it looks like, assuming, let's say, that both Hobart and RPI were able to go to the uh, NCAAs, obviously if uh, one of them doesn't, they will go to the ECACs uh, because their record is uh, very good. It uh, looks like WPI is a lock right now. Only 13 teams in the northeast and northwest portions of the ECAC uh, filed, and so just by doing some simple math about the number of NCAA teams that will be taken from that pool, we know that WPI looks pretty good. Union, at 5-4, and four, if they win next week against Susquehanna, could actually go uh, and play either probably a Hudson or Curry, uh, it looks like right now, which would be a very compelling matchup when you think about it, on the road against a team from the NEFC or independent like Hudson. So you I'm need sorry, to hold for I can interrupt you for a second. And this has nothing yeah. to do with my affiliation as a longtime RPI guy. But yeah. I think when the reason people start to talk about the ECACs and why they don't matter and the credibility is, I mean, 5 and 14 going to ECACs, I don't care if it's the union or, or even RPI or Corlin or whoever, I just, I, when you start having teams with, you know, 5 and 5 or 5 and 4 records, I, I think it just waters it down. I, I really do. Hey. Maybe, maybe not, because the five and four team is going to be playing a seven and zero team, or technically a seven and zero team, or a uh, what is Curry nine and one team. And if that five and four team can take down the nine one team, it actually gives you some shape as to what region or what excuse me, what conference in the region is better than the other. There, there are a lot of bragging rights associated with these games. At the end of the day, uh, yeah, people might say uh, teams come out flat, that the records are watered down, like you're saying. But I see no reason not to play them if the players and the uh, coaches and, you know, the supporters around the programs want them to be played. Why not play a bowl game? There are a lot of cheesy bowl games played in Division One. Why not play them in Division Three too? No, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, it's a chance. You know, they're not here on full scholarships. These are student athletes. They work hard. The seniors deserve another game. So, Frank, let me ask you a question. Are we ready to win the predictions? we got 13 Absolutely. minutes. Absolutely. Let's keep our folks on schedule tonight. Everyone's got a lot to do, so let's respect our fans, and let's give you our predictions. Go ahead, let's, Actually, let's, let's say uh, to the message board, folks, because I know we've got a lot in the chat room uh, right now. Why don't you 
put up your predictions, and we'll uh, kind of call out what we see as the consensus after each game. We've got a few minutes tonight to do it, so well, the first when, you, one, when you hear a game, put it up. Rochester 24, Hobart 21 is one someone posted. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're going to save that one for last. So let, let's go to the uh, undercard, per se. Uh, 12 noon game, WPI at St. Lawrence. James, this one's got you written all over. Go ahead and make a prediction of this one. You know, I was hoping that uh, St. Lawrence was going to get the win last weekend. Um, you know, we had a chance to talk to, I think it was uh, Eric. Uh, you have to help me with the last name. Eric Jones. Eric Jones. Eric Jones. Yep. He sounded like a great kid. And, and, you know, with Coach Phelps' affiliation with Hobart, I was hoping to see them, you know, get one more win. But, unfortunately, I just – this weekend is going to be all engineers. WPI will, will beat uh, St. Lawrence pretty handily, I think, you know, probably by uh, 21 points. Eric, were you shocked about the WPI score uh, at home against Susquehanna like yeah, I was? I am, I am and, and, and that's why I think, uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I just think St. Lawrence might actually keep this game closer. I'm still not convinced they can pull it out, but I think this game might be a three- to five-point game, believe it or not, a baseball, baseball spread there. Uh, I, I think WPI, you know, I, they just seem to have kind of, I'm not going to use the word phoned it in. No one phones it in. I don't care what anyone says. But I, I just think that they've lost some steam. They're, they're not playing with the passion they were earlier in the year. I think they've seen their, their NCA hopes slip away. But you know what? They need to pull together because they're in contention for an ECAC bid, and it's still postseason. So I think it's a close game. I think WPI wins that game probably 21-17. to 17. I, I'd say 7 to 10 points, actually. I'd say something like 24-14, uh, but it's going to be a consensus pick for us, a uh, unanimous uh, pick, rather. Uh, that WPI will win, and I don't see anybody just screening the message board. So, you know what? That obviously means St. Lawrence is going to win the game, since we all said WPI now. <laughs> so, way it goes. <laughs> game number two, Union at Susquehanna. We had participants from both teams on tonight. Uh, and, again, uh, if you weren't joining us, go listen to the archive for tonight's show, because uh, Drew Connolly and Dave uh, Pavlitz uh, were just great interviews for us tonight. Uh, you got a freshman quarterback against a senior quarterback in that game, Derek Pope, uh, for Susquehanna, and you have the two leading running backs for the Liberty League in that game. It's a very compelling matchup, James. What do you? What is your take on this one? You know, I think um, you know, I think Union has the overall you know better you know, better squad just from a talent perspective. I think that you know these guys are going to be fired up to try and you know, get that um, postseason bid and just sort of like they did with Hobart, they'll take this as a, you know, must-win game. And I see Union, you know, taking this one by, you know, seven to ten points. I think uh, Eric is uh, dying in the corner right now somewhere. So why don't I uh, make my oh, prediction? Oh, I'm here. I think, I, are you there? I, I think uh, Marathi throws for 300. Our, our city crowd is 200. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a different year. Uh you know, it always happens when we have a guest from one of these teams on that's you know, one of the teams that doesn't get a lot of the press, like an Eric Jones from St. Lawrence or tonight, Pavs from, from Susquehanna, and you hear these guys talk and, and you, you start to identify with them and root for them. So that way when you get to the prediction section, you say, man, that was a great kid. I want to root for him. <laughs> you know, you're, but then you're, you start to really get factual about it and you think, well, you know, gotta be got to be unbiased here. So in this matchup, you know, our Susquehanna's trying to avoid a losing season. You know, Union's trying to stay on track and avoid one. So it's a battle of 
two teams that have a, a pretty good byline. I think um, in the end, you know, just by terms of, of legacy and having been some really big games and close losses this year, I think the Dutchmen pull it out. But I think they, you know, the game's close for at least three quarters. And I think Union ends up winning by about 10. So, you know, 28 to, or I'd say 31-21. Yeah, I see a shootout forming in front of us here. I, I mean, the last two games that Susquehanna has played in, I think it's had like 1,000 yards combined mm-hmm. offense uh, between two teams. And Union's offense or defense has gotten better, but still it's tough to beat down both uh, paths, as we uh, call them now, and Derek Pope. Uh, they're a pretty balanced offense when they need to be, as Coach Briggs had told us in the past. So I'm going to say, uh, uh, you know what, the Hobart Union score is what, 38-35, James? So I'm going to say Union wins 38-35 in this game, too. <clears throat> okay, we got one game left here, and I, I wonder – or actually two games left, excuse me – uh, first up is uh, RPI Merchant Marine uh, at Merchant Marine Academy, and it's been a woeful year for Merchant Marine. I'm just going to make a quick pick here and let it roll at this point. RPI wins by 21. Yeah, I got RPI hanging 40 on Merchant Marine this week. 40, James? To, 40 to 10. Same, same thing. I mean, I, I feel bad for the the Mariners, but they're they're pretty much the worst team in the league. There's no way they're going to be able to – with uh, with RPI. I'm glad he's not the host of the show because he'd get more mail. <laughs> but, you know, the PC term is they're having a tough year. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. You don't hold it. I had the same problem with Frank. So, listen, in our last couple minutes left, so down to the marquee matchup, which could ultimately decide one way or another the Liberty League title, Frank. Rochester against Hobart. Hobart by 17. I say the Yellow Jackets play the spoiler, 34-30. Really? Are you – wait a minute now. Hold on, Scott hold on, hold on. Scott Green, competitive that he is, likes the opportunity to rile his troops up and use the motivational ploy of knocking Hobart out of the AQ. That's, that's something he's going to use this week to get his guys fired up and to play and, and, and make something of their season. This could be the biggest thing that makes their season this week right here. So they pull it together and, and win a close one, 34-30. James, you technically can't predict it, but go ahead and predict it anyways. Hobart 28, Rochester 14. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm what I'm hearing there. I, of course, every prediction I've made has been a kiss of death, so I, I hate to break the news to you that I picked Hobart here. Oh, well. James, thanks for joining. Frank, yep. you know what? Your turn to take us out this week. You know, folks, we want to thank all of our great guests, uh, not the least of which was James Baker. You just heard from Pat Coleman, but especially our players that joined us, Drew Connolly and Dave Pavlitz, and also you, Eric Wren. As always, a very special guest in my life. Thank you for being here. You've been listening to In the Heart of Next Week. We'll have playoffs, not predictions, the results. We'll know who's in on our next show. We'll talk all about it. Join us in the hall next week, 7.30 p.m. Sunday night. Bye-bye.